The Word of the Lord, according to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter this city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise, go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias, come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road with which you came and sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? Has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for this lesson comes from the Acts of the Apostles passage that I just finished reading for you and serves as the basis of our theme for the third Sunday of Easter. Who do you think you are? There comes a time in every pastor's ministry where you must make a public confession of sin. And today, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, is my day. So here, in front of God and all his witnesses, I confess that uh, 
Maybe I should explain myself first and then my sin might make more sense in its proper context. I've been a Lutheran since November 27th, 1969. I carefully did the calculations on how many years that has been and well, it's a lot. Clearly I know a thing or two about being a traditional Lutheran and being a traditional Lutheran, I've been a part of at least 14 Lutheran churches and publicly served in some pastoral capacity, five of them. Can honestly say, when someone asks me what I do, like any good Lutheran pastor, I reply, I drink beer and I know things. So as you can imagine, I can also tell when someone doesn't know and sometimes I've even had enough beers that I might even call them out on it. By the way, I'm not confessing to public drunkenness if that's where you think this is going. Don't worry, the real confession is still coming. In addition to all that I have had, a variety of family members that have run the spectrum of Lutherans. Some being Wisconsin Synod Lutherans, obviously some Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Lutherans, and others Evangelical Lutheran Church of America Lutherans, and formerly Lutheran Church of America Lutherans, some of them those more liberal Lutherans. And I've had some family members that were basically not Christians at all when I was growing up. Okay, my confession is getting a little closer, so bear with me. The problem I have that has led to my sin is now some of them have become Christians. I know, that shouldn't be a problem for me, right? Especially as a pastor, I should rejoice like the angels in heaven at the repentance of even one sinner. But I gotta tell you, those angels didn't have to deal with these newbies like I have. Sure, all the people that normally come to the faith brand new are great, but my family, the Johnny-come-latelys, have really been a pain in my gluteus maximus. I mean, right before I went to seminary, one of these family members actually sicked their pastor on me at a family party. And I had to spend the whole party arguing with him about the power of baptism that saves you from all your sins. He didn't think so and wanted to confront me on that. I have had other family members that made fun of me and told me to the face that I was as worthless as a clergyman because I was training to be a clergyman. The last one was by far not the worst. I actually love him dearly. But after I'd been a pastor for over 15 years, tried to tell me that everything I knew about leading Bible studies was wrong, and he knew how to do it better than I did. Gotta remember, all these jokers were literally Christians for just a few years at that point, and one of them less than a year when he thought he had to sick his pastor on me. So, are you ready for it? Here's my confession. I do not enjoy family members that are new converts. And to add to that, know-it-alls. Phew, there it is. Whoa, man, that lifted a weight off my shoulders. Thank you for hearing my confession. And now it's time to get to repentant. Translating the Acts of the Apostles really got me thinking about all of this this week. You see, Saul literally breathing threats and evil to the disciples and ergo Christ himself, had an earth-shattering, late-in-life conversion of faith. And his change of heart was no small thing. It's not like he was harmless and innocently standing out of the way of the disciples. 
In the time between Pilate's rule and whoever took over for Pilate, Saul, along with the temple priest, had managed to get the authority to arrest Christians, bind them, and then execute them accordingly. Jesus' intervention in this miraculous way in today's lesson and his subsequent charge to Saul to go to Damascus for Christ's purposes was a little too hard for the way to believe. And I get that. I was just as sinfully doubtful of my family members. I mean, I saw their fruits my entire life, and they're going to tell me now they believe? That's where my disbelief was on par with Thomas' disbelief in last week's gospel lesson. Unless I put my hand into their chest and find a heart there, I will never believe they actually have one now. But the disciples showed me in today's lesson that my belief or lack thereof has nothing to do with the power of God to accomplish his will by making sinners into saints. And my revelation moment came in verses 13 to 17. Ananias knows who Saul is, even reminding Jesus to that fact. But when Jesus tells him that Saul is an instrument of his choosing, Ananias, unlike me, believes it. And even more shockingly than that, the first time Ananias interacts with Saul, he even calls him his brother. That title, brother, means a lot to me. There are only two people in my life that know truly who I am and everything about me and still love me. The other one is my actual brother. For those of you that are just sitting there wondering your head right now, Marcy is obviously the other one. So when I refer to anyone as a brother, I mean judgment-free friendship that will find a way to stay in that relationship, especially when the brother or sister didn't deserve it. I know, that must apply to anyone Christ says is my brother or sister too. Even if it is my family member that I don't particularly care about. This changes everything. Not because Christians are automatically wonderful people. I've been ministering to Christians way too long to even think that for a second. And all of you know that too. There's always a fly in the ointment, as they say. Scripture says there are even tares in the field that is the church. And we are left wondering whose tares may be depending on some of their behaviors on any given week. So we don't get to judge them as such. We simply love them and hope they are not those who will be cast off on that final day. And even if they are, we pray for their repentance so they would not be cast away on that final day. Because they are what Jesus says they are, no matter our belief or lack thereof. I mean, just look at the cross on Good Friday. There Jesus hung, dying for the sins of the whole world. Now I imagine that day started out a little hectic for his mother and the disciple whom he loved. They had to get out to Golgotha. They had to find their way to the foot of the cross. They likely had to pack provisions for what they knew would be a long vigil until their beloved finally expired. But they probably had no inkling whatsoever that his disciple would come away from the cross 
with a new mother, and Jesus' mother would leave Golgotha with another son. It was so because Jesus said it was so. That is the power of the cross. It makes that which is not so. That's why we commune under the cross. When Jesus says it is his body and blood by the power of what he accomplished on that cross, it is. That's why we baptized Ebbets under that cross. Jesus said that Ebbets was born anew, a new creation in Christ, and now his child by the power of the water and his word. Power affirmed on the cross. That's why when I stand here under the cross and tell you as a called and ordained servant of the word in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. They are forgiven. Not by my power, but by Christ's power under the cross. So Jesus says, so it is. And we no longer must sit and wonder who they are, anyone who they are. Anyone who Jesus declares righteous is righteous in his sight. No matter what we see. Even a murderer like Saul, an adulterer like King David, a denier like Peter, an unbeliever like Thomas, a harlot like Rahab, or even a doubting pastor like me. We are who Jesus says we are. No matter who asks, who do you think you are? Amen. Now may that peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.